This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I am unwilling to give up. That I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out knocked out so your only choice should be go focus on what you can control 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 hi everyone and welcome to the Kara golden show join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders we'll talk with founders entrepreneurs ceos and really some of the most interesting people of our time can't wait to get started let's go let's go Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I am so excited to have my next guest here. We have Janessa Leone, who is the founder and CEO of Janessa Leone, a luxury lifestyle brand best known for their stunning, stunning hats. So I used to say wool hats, but there's also straw hats. There's amazing, amazing other things as well. So We'll get Janessa to talk a lot more about how that brand has been built out because their products, like I said, are just absolutely beautiful, not only to look at, but also to feel and everything about the company is just amazing, amazing. So following early endorsements from top retailers and celebrities, lots of people who you would definitely recognize for sure. Uh, Her flagship boutique is in Los Angeles, where Janessa lives, um, I guess, part-time. She'll talk to us a little bit more about that, but she stayed true to her mission, never wavering in her commitment to sustainable practices as well, which I think is so, so cool, and real attention to high-quality details while still being at the forefront of regenerative fashion. So we'll talk more about that too. But this incredible brand started a few years back, but has come a long way. And I cannot wait to hear all of Janessa's stories and wisdom. So welcome. Thanks, Kara. That was such a nice intro. I appreciate well, that. <laughs> really, really fun. So before we get into hearing more about the brand, uh, Janessa Leone, and you, I'd love to hear about what you were doing before you decided to start your company. I guess you were not in the hat industry. I was not in the hat industry. I was, well, I was 25 when I started the business. So I was in a moment of life that had, you know, just graduated college. I graduated with an English literature degree. I wanted to go to law school. But then after I started to go down that path, realized I very quickly did not want to go to law school. Um, And so fashion is actually, this is my very first job in fashion. It was something that I was always really interested in. I was definitely the kid when I was a when I, when I was a little kid that I was reading Vogue magazines and I was getting lost in like the editorial creative world of the the fashion universe. But it was not something that I was exposed to. My my mom worked in my school, actually. She wasn't a teacher, but she worked in the school as an admin. Um, and my dad owned an accounting firm. So it was really the idea of jumping off into a creative industry 
was something that was very foreign for my family, but it was so, I was so interested in it that I decided not to go to law school. I went to Paris. Um, I found this vintage hat in a in a, like a vintage store not far from the apartment that I've been living in, um, and decided like I wanted to start a fashion brand and with no real experience except a really strong um, interest and a, like a, a just someone that like really wanted to get into it. I decided start with hats. Chanel started with hats. Salon Von started with hats. Halston started with hats. I didn't have any money or resource uh, and I didn't have any connections. So I was just like, this is a really great way to jump off, like get into a very niche product, make a name for myself and expand from there. But it's one thing to like read about these people. And it's another (laughs) thing to just go say, I'm going to go start a hat company that is just killing it. I mean, what was there anybody out there that you had read about that? Obviously, those people that you mentioned, I mean, that were those were years ago, right? Was there anybody recently that sort of inspired you? And I thought, you know, I can do that. I mean, how hard could it be? I mean, there was there was definitely I feel like my personality is just like when people say it's too hard. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me let me show you. Like, I really have like that spirit. That's just like anyone tells me, no, that's going to be the fire that I need. And so when I said that I wanted to have a fashion brand after deciding I wasn't going to law school and people scoffed at me, like, well, who do you think you are to start a fashion brand? You have no experience. That's when I was just like, no, I'm going to do this. And what's a really like great way to start something when you don't have a name for yourself or don't have resource, financial resource, you start with something that it's going to like that there's a hole in the market. And I love Tats. I come from an American, uh, an Italian American family. And so Hats were like a part of, you know, what my grandfather wore every day. And I I, I personally loved them. They were very hard to find. This was 10 mm-hmm. years ago. So I started the brand 10 years ago. Um, you would go into like, I grew up in San Diego. So you'd go into like Tilly's or w- whatever. Like there was like these really funny little surf shops that they would be made in China. But you couldn't find this really well-made quality hat. Like there was like very prevalent in the 40s. And, you know, I have this like very romantic nostalgia part of my personality. So I'm going to do it. And, that, and like, you know, to to the wind with everyone else that tells me that I can't because I'm just going to make yeah. it happen. How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around, available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn, quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip. Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning, too. They've got you covered. 
Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years, helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long-term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. In today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is the Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, it's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, the Washington Post is my trusted source. Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. And the best part? You can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health, as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is Super well done, I think. It makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of the Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for the Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. I love it. No, that's that's great. Well, as uh, I was watching Shark Tank last night and uh, Lori Grainer would not in, would not actually invest in somebody unless uh, 
they finally ultimately said that they don't take no for an answer. And she (laughs) said, okay, I'm investing. And I was like, you know what? That's like a consistent thread amongst entrepreneurs. They don't even know they're saying it, but they just try and find a way to get to yes. So I I love that. So, So I told a friend that I was interviewing you today and she was super blown away. She was just like, actually, really blown away too because even though it has such a beautiful name for the, for the company she didn't realize it was your name i mean yeah. it was and she was like i don't know i just never thought about it i thought it was such a beautiful name as well how have you generated so much awareness like unless somebody lives in los angeles or i don't know like i guess you've also done amazing marketing on instagram and some of the others but how do you think And why do you think people recognize what you've done? Yeah, um, it's a a great question. And it's funny because I actually, that's a common takeaway is people are like, you're Janessa? Like, I didn't know that was a real person. And my personality is definitely to be a little bit behind the scenes. Um, And really the, the impetus for this all is I just believe that people genuinely want a very quality product. And I've always wanted the product to be in the forefront and I want the product to speak for itself. I want there to be a world that it exists for its own right. That's why I spend so much care and attention to the detail, the manufacturing, the raw materials, that just the actual integrity of the finished product. I think that speaks to people Uh because they don't, they're not like distracted by the, like, you know, like the, the, me or what, whatever, like the kind of sometimes like noise can be around brands. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I just always wanted the product to be first and foremost. And I started this, I've, I've never taken any funding. So this has always been a very organic, slow, well, we have had high growth, but meaning like slow growth, like we are not pouring like VC money onto this to really try to gear up for an exit. So that it has to intentionally be so focused on the quality product and people are genuinely interested in that and genuinely take to it. And it's been word of mouth. So much of our business has been word of mouth. We didn't start digital marketing until three years ago. So we didn't have a marketing budget. I've always been really focused on the brand and the creative and the soul of the company because that's me. I'm the only designer in this business. I head all of the creative marketing um, and so that's, it's really just an extension of my energy and effort and creativity going into this product that I really want to be able to make a, a place for it to live outside of myself. I want there to be a reason for our stuff to exist and not just because we're just making more things with a luxury price tag. And I think people really resonate with that and they want quality things. Yeah, definitely. And I think quality and feel and touch is is definitely something that is is just so key. And yeah. I think also just fast fashion and things that have been um, kind of of the past. I, there's a lot there around, you know, ESG as well and full mm-hmm. circle economy and all mm-hmm, of these mm-hmm. different terms that are out there that I think, you know, it's obvious that you're very aware of of those things as well. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, as I said, you know, it's one thing to enjoy hats and then it's uh, another thing to just go ahead and start it and think, OK, how hard could this really be to do it? What has been kind of the most difficult aspect of starting your company? The, <laughs> um, the like 
operational side of this business, especially our supply chain, is is very complex and complicated, and it's not my first language. Um, and so there has been, especially with limited resources, because we are pulling, you know, we're just recycling all of the profits right into the next year to grow and scale it, um, trying to operationalize the business in a way that matches the level that we are at from revenue to the, the quality of the brand and the awareness, the demand has been a really difficult feat. Um, I never took a business class myself ever. I'm, I'm studied literature. And so to be able to grow, to, to be able to set up a business, to be at a level that we are at and then grow it at the rate that we are growing, I am demanded to be the CEO of a company, to be the designer of the company, to be just an, a full human and uh-huh. like deal with all of the the pressures and the anxieties and like, you know, grievances of life. I've been through like I lost my dad a couple years ago. It was really traumatic. I've gone through medical. It's just just so much to deal with trying to progress, like to to push a brand forward uh-huh. and at a level that it needs to and with all the business pressures of that. So it's really the operational side of things that's just been like very difficult to get right. And I'm very hard on myself there. But I have gotten to a point where I'm like now have an extraordinarily talented team and like subject matter experts in their field. And I can like, you know, just kind of trust that these people um, are the, are there for a reason. And now I'm just like overseeing it. And I think that, you know, it's always learning. It's learning every day to get that right. Well, as you and I were talking about before we hit record, I mean, we're we're both entrepreneurs and founders and uh, something that I think I I learned at a very young age was figuring out that if things were not going the way I wanted, that I had to just get back up and keep moving and figuring out a way uh, to, you know, make it better. And and, uh, that's what I think most great entrepreneurs do. They figure out, you know, what can we do if we can't really do exactly what we want to be doing? Is there something that is, you know, helpful to us right now that might get us to that next steps? Where can you name like an example where that's happened, where, you know, maybe you're trying to figure out um, your I noticed, by the way, that you have free international shipping, which is just wild <laughs> on many, many fronts. But, you know, maybe you had a big a number of you know, people internationally, especially over the last couple of years who were traveling yeah. one of their hats and couldn't get it and you know how'd you figure that out kind of thing yeah i mean that that is it's a really great example of kind of what i'm talking about i have a vision for this brand that i'm like i want this to be the the top in class the creative direction to be something that can stand alongside any of these like heritage french fashion houses i want it to be timeless i want the product to be exceptional I want our customer service to have XYZ offering. I want this. I want a profitable business. I'm like, I want all of these things. And so I'm the dreamer. I'm the one that says like, this has to be like that there is no margin for error and the excellence that I demand from the product and and the experience of the brand. But obviously there's logistics that are involved to make that happen. So when I go to my team and I'm like, I want not only our American customers to be able to experience this brand, but I want our international customers. And like we mentioned, like, I've been living in France. I know how frustrating and tedious it can be to get imported things in and you're paying $270 for a product, which is what our average order value is. And then you're paying an additional 15% for duties and then an additional $100 for shipping. Like it's a terrible experience. And I want the experience to be something that 
really is life-giving and people get something and like, this is a work of art. I'm going to have this forever. And it's like integrated into their life. And so it's a great example of this like operationalizing thing that's really difficult. That's a hard piece to figure out. So now we're talking about consolidators. We're talking about logistical, like the logistics of getting the product from our factory into a different, you know, consolidation distribution center in Frankfurt so that they can piecemeal it out to different places. Like that is no, that, that takes a long time. And so I think that's always been the hardest part. Cause in my mind, I'm just like, let's just do it. Let's just, let's just make this happen. Of course, like I'm American, I am an entrepreneur, everything can happen. It's all like possibility is endless. And some, there's a lot of times that it's just like, no, it's actually not that easy. I'm like, well, it no. should be. <laughs> Let's make it that yeah. easy. <laughs> and you have to figure out if, it, if it's worth doing that. I mean, I remember early on in Hint's uh, life cycle, we got a phone call from a few different people in Dubai. And they yeah. wanted to put our product in, into stores. And there's a lot of hoops that you have to go through in order right. to do that. And ultimately, there was some creative person who reached out to us who was basically putting all American products in and uh -huh. you know they were basically going to handle all the shipping they were going to do all of it and it was like a test to see whether or not this was even going to be viable or not right. and so we figured out like we had a reason for doing something with one versus actually going big um right you know and and so anyway I just think there's there's decisions along the way that you make too to sort of test it and do it for other reasons. And yeah. but hassle factor sometimes is like factor. you have to be able to walk away uh, from yeah. different things. I I think there's a, another decision that we made um, at, in our company. I'm so curious if you guys have had this opportunity too, where private label is always like this, uh -huh. you know, huge opportunity. Somebody calls and they say, hey, we want, you know, thousands of hats right mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. it's gonna lower your costs and and you know make you that much bigger like right when do you say no to that stuff because the brand is going to be different on the one hand you're going to improve the category all these things have you ever had that those kind of opportunities too yeah we've had a lot of those and like i said like i'm so bullish on the brand and i think that's one thing that is is maybe the like differentiator that has actually allowed us to be very successful from early on with like limited resource and i remember so distinctly it was my first year and you know your first year of business when you start to get like press and all of a sudden you're like you're the bell of the ball and everyone oh. wants you and you're trying to make decisions and you're trying to look long term and but you're still like in the immediate of like holy cow, what is happening? I'm like on fire. And I was also working a full-time job while doing this at the same time. And Urban Outfitters came to us. And it was a massive, at the moment, would have been a life-changing PO. And I'm sitting there and my sales reps are like pushing this. Like, are you kidding? Like, this isn't, this, look at the number that is on yeah. this purchase order. Like, you're going to walk away from this? And I knew just instinctually at that moment, if I opened up, at that point, our very first wholesale was in Barney's. That was our very first wholesaler. R.I.P. Barney's. Love you, Barney's. Wish you would come back. I and, know. <laughs> and then I'm like, Urban Outfitters, you cannot, you are only as good as the, like, the cheapest product <laughs> that you have. Or, like, the the if you make a concession on something, that concession is now going to dictate the rest of the brand. You can't really have, you know, I can't make a a $20 hat and then also be able to have a $270 hat. I just can't, we cannot have that assortment. And so 
I walked away from this without really, I mean, I knew instinctually it wasn't the right thing for me, but I didn't necessarily probably know until now how much that would have completely changed the direction of the brand. Um, that would have put us on a completely different course, which is not a bad course. It just wasn't yeah, the course that I wanted. Um, and like those decisions are crucial. It would have helped that year. Like, oh my gosh, we would have had an extraordinary year. We might have actually had a bigger business at this point, really. Like if we went down the mass distribution scale of of those different partners, but it's not the business I wanted. And it's crazy. You have to make those decisions so early on. Um but there's a reason entrepreneurs are like entrepreneurs. Like you got a gut instinct, and sometimes uh-huh. you just got to trust it without knowing the full implications or realizing that you know where it's going to go. Sometimes it might be the bad decision too, and you might just have to walk away and be like, you know what? I trusted my instinct. You can never be wrong if you went with your gut. Yeah, it's just and it's something's going to happen. I think what you're saying is it's a journey, right? You're going to make good decisions, bad decisions, have failures, challenges along the way, super successes, um, all of these things. But it's it really is a a journey, and uh, and it's not a uh, a quick race for sure. So a large percentage of your business is direct. Can you share more about this decision? Well, it's one of those things too. It that that particular shift was not actually a decision. That was it. That was a necessary pivot during COVID. We started um, wholesale only. And then we launched our retail store in 2016. um, And we had still not fully ramped up our e-commerce. During COVID, we had multiple big, you know, like our our biggest accounts um, Uh that our, our shipments were in way at the beginning of March. We get it, you know, when the world shut down, everyone gets a notification our warehouses are closed. We cannot accept your shipment. Meanwhile, I've already paid for all these goods from our manufacturer. They come back to our warehouse. And now I have all of these wholesale units that aren't going to be able to get into the DC. And then like, you know, therefore I'm like, I can't bill them. They haven't been received. So we absorbed all those units and we're like, we're doubling down on our e-commerce because we have the inventory. And up until that point, that was always our restraint. We've always had been inventory restrained. Our demand had far exceeded our ability to keep up with the purchasing of the inventory. And so it was a really great opportunity. Um, Quickly, we're able to be like, we have a great, this is a great moment of time to be able to speak to people in a genuine way um, who are, you know, sitting at home and looking for like really like a lot of meaning in in these moments of like fear and insecurity. Um, And like, what a great opportunity to be able to, to speak to them directly and get people are products that might actually when they open the door might be something that makes them feel better because it it is so well made it's hard to like not smile when you get something in the mail you're just like look at the detail look at that look at this like this is extraordinary someone made this like there's a feeling of like just like overwhelm for me anyways when I get something that's really well made so speaking of uh of products so you started with the wool hat and then you moved into, talk to me about the uh, extensions after the wool hat. Like, how did you think about that? Yeah, we, so it was, it was wool only because that was all, um, again, like resource could provide that I could actually meet minimums and buy into. Um, we went into straw a couple seasons later. Obviously, we just wanted from a business strategy, wanted to even out our year and not be so overly dependent on Q3 and Q4. Um, and then we had... I developed this um, 
packable fiber, which was a game changer for our business. And really, for me, I was traveling all the time and I loved our Panama hats and I loved the the dimension and the like the feel of the Panama hats. They're quite fragile when you're when you're not. I mean, they're traveling with them. You have it's almost like you're carrying like a like a child with yeah, you. Yeah. Like you protect these. You make sure you don't forget them. Like it's just like it's a little bit more like precious travel. Um and so I wanted to make something that had the dimensionality of that and had the feel and the function of it, but was something that wouldn't break if you folded it. And so we've developed this packable hat um, and that went bonkers. And it totally, um, the demand for that was unlike anything we'd ever seen. That category grew for maybe 500%. I have to get the numbers exactly right, but it was it was extraordinary year over year. Um, so yeah, so that was really the foyer into straw. Um, and now straw is actually our largest season. And our, so our spring, all summer. the straw hats are the, in the packable, um, not category. all, but we have a large category of them in packable, but it really put the straw, like the, the association with our brand and straw hats on the map. And I would say that's probably what the majority of people know us for now. That's amazing. So, uh, and then beyond that, you've gone into which other categories? We have handbags, we have knits, we have belts, um, and all of our all of our knitwear and our handbags are all made from regenerative raw materials. So this is our like focus going forward, and we're shifting our supply chains for our hats to be regenerative. Uh, we have about thirty percent of our hats right now with regenerative raw materials, um, but this is in my this is our like Janessa Leone iteration two point for what we're doing and in, in for luxury fashion. That's amazing. And most times you hear about very large companies talking about this. And and sadly, I think you don't necessarily trust that they're doing it for all the right reasons. Yeah, but I yeah. think, you know, that, that companies like you and again, you feel the product and the quality of it. Um, uh-huh. it. It makes a ton of sense. So can you talk to us a little bit more about this initiative and why first, why it was important to you and how hard uh, was it to actually accomplish this? Yeah, um, it's a great question. I mean, the importance came for me um, because I, I mean, when you look at the the impact of the fashion industry on global greenhouse emissions, we are as a, as a complete industry, 10% of the, of the issue, the problem worldwide. And if you dig that deeper, so like entrepreneurs like you and myself, and we're like, okay, there's a problem Let's get to the root so we can call, we can course correct and we can fix what's actually happening. So as I dug deeper, I'm like, okay, 80% of that total impact is happening at the raw material stage. And so also another issue is that the majority of fashion brands do not have visibility into their raw material manufacturing. They're using full package production. They're going to a factory saying, this is the finished product I want. That factory is backing into all the components required to make that. And then they're selling them the finished good. So they know that they're caught. Co- they know their finished good costs. They don't know what the, what, where they, where that factory sourced X, Y, and Z in order to make it. So it's like, that's a fundamental issue. If I don't have transparency, then I can't actually fix 80%. I want to fix the bulk of what our what? impact is. I don't really like, yes, sustainable packaging, like all these things are wonderful and they all should be done. But like, I want to make the biggest impact. And if that's done at the raw materials, I got to solve the raw materials. And so I went down, I eat from like an ethos of regenerative agriculture myself. 
And so I know the quality of nutrient, like you, there's a lot of studies out there of nutrient density in the foods and in the higher values of like the ALA profiles and all these different things. So I was like, it follows suit that if we're going down regenerative agriculture from a food perspective, and we also want to honor the animals and use the full, like the full system, use the wool of the sheep. We're using, you know, we're using the the hides of the cows in our leather handbags. And if this can regenerate soil so that we're solving a one problem, we're creating more nutrient soil and nutrient dense soil that can store more carbon, that's better at retaining water, that increases biodiversity, feeds the animals, feeds us. Great problem. Like solution number one. Solution number two, it yields a far superior product. The yeah. micron of our sweater is so like it's so fine. Right. It's below yeah. the human itching threshold. It is, it's like cashmere hand. It's extraordinary. Same with our leather. Our leather quality is phenomenal. So as a luxury brand who's so focused on the raw material quality, this is just a no-brainer for me everywhere I go. And so I'm like, here, we're gonna solve the 80% of the problem that we're trying to solve, we're going to solve it here, but we're actually going to create a better product. And it's also going to have a positive benefit from a soil level. So it's this is this trifecta of a no-brainer. Um, and in, in terms of how hard it was, extraordinarily hard. People do not like invent supply chains at the size of our business. And we went in and we had to meet with ranchers. We had to understand the actual farming practices to make sure that this is regenerative. We're on page, we're on the same page. There's soil samples happening to verify that this is actually benefiting the soil. All of a sudden, I'm dealing with researchers from institutions and, and universities, which is not something I'm used to reading data analysis, like scientific analysis. And then we're actually having to find people that can clean it and comb it and scour and turn it into yarn. And now I have to know the speck of yarn that I'm using for our, and it's just so all encompassing. There's so many things. It takes a long time. And for someone that really likes to just like have a great idea and go and bring it to market, it is a massive exercise of patience and trust that like we're on the right path. And this is a slow and steady, right? This is not a race. This is slow and steady. And we're like, we're going to get there. So, and are you doing it in the U.S. or North America? All in the U.S. That's another thing. I mean, if we're going to make an impact, like, we got to think about the local, like, the local of this. Like, it has to be close. It doesn't make sense to do this in China or India. Like, if I'm selling it locally and I'm transporting it in. So, we're looking at our full life cycle from cradle to grave completely. And even thinking about, you know, all of, like, our wool right now is undyed. It, you could bury that into the ground and it'll biodegrade. It's just carbon. Our wool is just pure carbon Amazing. that is stored and you just, it's biodegradable. And it's just like, we need to start thinking about this holistic system. It's uh, it's great that you've said that. Uh, that's another thing that we always believed at Hint was everything was done in the U.S. And so, uh-huh. you know, most cans, for example, are manufactured outside of the U.S. And uh, while many companies say that they're more sustainable, uh, doing cans, there's different environmental uh, uh, measurements in places yeah. around the world yeah, exactly. um, that allow them to be labeled sustainable. Right. But, um, you know, there's a reason why we don't manufacture cans in the U.S. Uh, yeah. because of the emissions that comes off of it. Uh, so, again, like I think what we decided was, you know, we could really look at it um, 
in in the right way uh, for us if we did everything in the U.S. Because then uh-huh. we understood the measurements, we trusted uh-huh. the measurements much more, and right. um, and uh, so it sounds like and you, you have guys, that traceability and the transparency. The tra- you can you yeah. can't keep a, a standard for if you don't know who you're holding you're holding to the standard, then the standard is irrelevant, in my yeah. opinion. I love that about you guys too. So, uh, so your marketing is stunning. If if anyone hasn't seen it, definitely have a look. It's just very clean, very sophisticated, um, very approachable uh, too. So, how have you thought about that? I think you mentioned that you're the, the designer, but it has a lot of that come from you and sort of you know your vision. Yeah. Um, so I I do all the the creative marketing. I have. Um, an art director on my team whom I've had a very long-standing collaborate, uh, collaboration with uh, for the last four years, and she's extraordinary. Um, but we're in a very fluent language of, of putting out, like producing photo shoots and putting out the, the brand identity. And it's, it's evolved. If you saw the creative direction that we had when we first launched, like it's, it's funny to see where it's evolved, but this is, this really is me. And so I feel like that's something that is such like the core and the soul of the brand and the creative marketing is that I I'm I am involved in every step of the way. I'm doing the creative like the ideation of it, the direction of it. I'm actually doing a lot of the posts. Like we actually go in and we do the color correction and like so I'm I'm so hands on. It's I'm so meticulous about our creative because I feel like that's the opportunity for um for the story for the brand to come to life that's where you can insert yourself in the universe and like i said when i was young and i used to get lost in vogue stories like i had i i had like a a childhood that i kind of wanted to escape from and so the stories that were told in the editorial of the pictures of vogue i didn't have to read anything i didn't it wasn't outside of me i got to insert myself it was personal it was mine so that creative like um the 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 editorials that we make in the creative direction is so important to me and something that I spend a lot of my time on. It's it's absolutely beautiful. So, what have you enjoyed most about being a founder and entrepreneur? I it, you know it's it's funny when I think about those words. I think about being a creator, like you're uh-huh. you're creating something that gives people a lot of pleasure, and that's yeah. you know that is really, really exciting. So what advice, I guess, first of all, what have you enjoyed most about it? But also what advice would you uh, give it aspiring entrepreneurs knowing kind of what you know uh, today yeah. about, you know, the 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 hard, the good about being an entrepreneur? Yeah. I mean, I think my, the thing that I love the most is, is, is exactly what you're saying is you're creating something from nothing. So mm-hmm. there is like endless opportunity and potential um, because it, you get to say what you want and how you want to do it. There are no rules. There are no, there's no roadmap. Like this is something that you are building. And to me, to be a part of this, like, you know, this cultural moment and to like be a part of something that's so outside of you, like business and art and anything, you're creating something that is existing outside of you. And I think there's such a beautiful romantic story to that. And we're looking at the timeline of human civilization and we're sitting here and like actually being able to show up and solve a problem. There are problems every day and you Uh get to look at it and be like, 
I get to solve this how I want to solve this. There is no there is no solution. You cannot Google how to like solve some of the problems that come up to us. And you get to sit there and use your brain and collaborate with your team and say like, how would you do this? What do you think? And then you try it. Sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes it does work. But when it works, it's like, oh my gosh, this is the human spirit at play. Like we are generating like life going forward. And it's 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 a pretty extraordinary feeling. And I think I actually have to remind myself that a lot because like you said, there are moments, there's a lot of tough moments. This is not an easy path. I'm texting with like founder girlfriends all day, every day, just like, what have we done? What, why did we decide this? There's an easier way. Like, yeah. why do why do we not live in the countryside in Italy somewhere? Because there is an easier way to live this life. But it's also so extraordinarily rewarding to be able to be at the forefront of something that you believe in and actually like create change and do something beautiful. And I think that's someone for for any founder, and I'm for all listen back to this, and it's a good reminder for me too to focus on that because you can get lost in the frustration. You can get lost in the complication. You get lost that you're not where you want to be looking at other brands and saying like, I, why did, don't I have the funds for that? Or why don't I have the budget for this? And why aren't we doing that better? And it's just like, enjoy the process of where you are right now because it is, there. This is, there's no end game. This is all a part of it. The whole journey is a part of it, like you mentioned. And like at the end of the day, this is an extraordinary opportunity to be sitting at the helm of something and be able to push civilization forward in a little way whatever that means for you you're putting your your stamp on a cultural moment forever and i think that that's that's really really inspiring yeah no it it is and i think it's it's uh you touched on something else just communicating with your other um founder friends like i i feel like there's these networks that end up getting built um that you didn't intend to build them but you meet um, you know, it's like misery is company, right? And right. <laughs> it, it's that uh, you celebrate more your your questions together. And um, and I I find that in throughout the country, I've met so many people in different industries that are founders. And there's this there's this little club that exists out there too, where people do want to help people, and um, you know, definitely uh, help lift people um yeah. not just females but i think there are not every male but there are some male uh founders out there too that are yeah. um, definitely helpful so what's what's the best advice that you've ever received um that has really helped you during those kind of challenging days mm. um i think i mean it's so hard to to put this on a scale of of what's best. But the first thing that's coming to my mind right now um, is when I really started to operationalize this, I hired a, a contract COO to help me really figure out what it is that I needed and what was missing and how to scale the organization going forward. And I would get lost a bit. I would get a little bit stuck whenever I'm like, I just don't possibly know how I'm supposed to make this decision with the information that I have. And she would always tell me that you you will only in the best case scenario, you will only have 80% of the information. If you wait until you have 100% of the information, you're too late. So uh -huh. the best case scenarios, you're only going to have 80. You have to trust your gut. Uh -huh. And I think that that trust, and it's like, it's such a developed skill to be able to close it, like get rid of all the noise, do whatever you need to do to regulate yourself and like find whatever that 
piece inside of you is that made you start this in the first place and trust it and learn to listen to it and it'll get louder and louder and realize that no one no one has the answers you're never going to have the right answer and you're also never going to have all of the information there's no such thing as the perfect answer to a situation you just got to trust your gut and go and i think that that's really guided me and helped me in in the decisions since that have been seemingly monumental decisions that feel like they're life changing it's so true i have a chapter i wrote a book about a year and a half ago um that came out and there's a chapter called fly the plane as you're building it because yeah. it's everything that you're saying it's like if you wait for things to be perfect then you'll never launch yeah <laughs> right yeah, and you'll be too you know, late yeah it'll be too late maybe you couldn't get the right color uh you know for a hat that you really really wanted and and i mean for us you know every we wanted a lemon for years we could not figure out how to get the right lemon and mm-hmm. uh, and so we waited many many years uh and did something else that we felt like was really representative of what we wanted to do but i think that that yeah. is a um universal truth across every single category for every entrepreneur so well janessa thank you so much we're going to have all the info in the show notes but it's so nice to get to know you a little bit and Thanks, and Kara. really understand the founder and the CEO behind the brand. So thank you. Have a great rest of the week. Thank you so much, Kara. Thanks again for listening to the Kara Golden Show. If you would, please give us a review and feel free to share this podcast with others who would benefit. And of course, feel free to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode of our podcast. Just a reminder that I can be found on all platforms at Kara Golden. And if you want to hear more about my journey, I hope you will have a listen or pick up a copy of my book, Undaunted, which I share my journey, including founding and building Hint. We are here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Have a great rest of the week and 2023. And goodbye for now. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Golden. Thanks for listening.